Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. We are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 25, we are going to endeavor to wade through 25 and 26 tonight. Um, I know I've been going quite a bit slower, but uh, tonight we're going to speed up just a bit. And before we dive in that, just picking up a few things from last week in chapter 24. 24 is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. Um, And it's really, that chapter was dedicated to the choosing of a bride for Isaac. And from the beginning of chapter 24 until the end, we again see this, the aspect of the Lord revealing his character, uh, his plan, and also Uh, He is reaffirming his faithfulness to those who love him and are called according to his purposes, as as well as um, displaying and demonstrating to them the blessings found in obedience. So we see that all throughout um, the book of Genesis, particularly this reoccurring theme of man's faithlessness and God's faithfulness. And just the character of God being revealed over and over again. In it, we see how Abraham has matured and and modeled not only for his son, but also for his servants, what it means to be, to seek and trust the Lord. Uh, Abraham's great desire was for his son, Isaac, to remain pure in his devotion to God and really to that end, marrying any one of the people um, in his surrounding area, his, his son marrying any daughter from the Canaanite tribes was not an option because he'd, it was his desire that Isaac would remain dedicated to the Lord and to not allow for any real distractions, particularly distractions of ungodly people. And we see this, carried, this theme carried forward uh, even tonight as well as all throughout Israel's history. We asked, how are we doing when it comes to modeling or teaching the next generation of believers? And, and are we concerned with not only our purity, but by default, their purity and devotion to God? As we think about our responsibilities as, as parents, as grandparents, as believers in the body where young people are observing our actions. In relation to spiritual maturity and purity, we also learned about the necessity of being equally yoked. And again, that's tied to this idea of Isaac not marrying amongst the Canaanite people, but not just in marriage, but in relationships, in our, in our relationships as believers. Are we entertaining the idea of being unequally yoked, not just in marriage, but in relationships? Are we courting friendship was the question I asked last week with the world and forgetting that we are not of this world that we were purchased for a very specific purpose a promise, a purpose, a hope observing the sincerity oh wait, as, as the servant of Abraham encounters Abraham's family in Mesopotamia um, we see this abundance of hospitality and granted some of that hospitality as we, as we learn more about the character of Laban in particular. Uh, he had a little bit of larceny in his heart perhaps as he saw all the wealth and riches of Abraham's servant. But nonetheless, we see this hospitality and asking the question, are we characterized as hospitable people? Not, not just here in this building, like when we gather on a Wednesday night or for a, a Bible study or whatever, but hospitality outside of these walls. Are we people that, that demonstrate 
the generosity and kindness of God in our daily lives. Do our plans in life flow from a seeking of God in his word and prayer and in godly counsel, as it was demonstrated really in the servant of Abraham? More than that, as we are given wisdom and direction from the Lord, <clears throat> are we pressing forward and applying the wisdom we've received? Uh, I know that I've at times been guilty, like, Lord, I really want some answers. And he's given me the answers in his word, but I don't like the answers. Maybe you've been that way, possibly. And so we begin looking for other answers, which even as God said, when we decide that we're not going to follow his wisdom, we should expect to see nothing from him because we are unstable. But are we pressing forward and applying the wisdom we've received? Are we doing our master's business? This was his great desire, the servant of Abraham. He's like, don't delay me. I got to get back. I mean, it's been a 900-mile journey, and I got to get back to my master and fulfill the responsibility. Is that our attitude when it comes to what God has purchased us for? Are we about his business? As chapter 24 closes, we see Isaac's heart for the Lord as he meditates in the evening there as Rebecca is now coming <coughs> with the camel or on the camel. But he's also setting that example. He's living what was modeled for him. And finally, the chapter closes with the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. Having completed his final task in life, chapter 25 begins with the closure of Abraham's history, which is verse, chapter 25. Doggone it, this little tickle in my throat won't go away. I don't know what this is. Every time I get up to teach, I should just start carrying a lozenge or something. All right, so if you'll read with me, chapter 25, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim and Letushim and Lemumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah and Ephor and Hanok and Abida and Eldah, and these were the sons of Keturah. Now, all we know about Keturah is really recorded here um, and also then in 1 Chronicles. There's just not a lot of information about her. Um, in 1 Chronicles, she's described as a concubine and not his wife. Um, but these children would be, eventually become the Arabian tribes and people from these tribes would play a, a pivotal role in Israel's history. And we're also mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and Jeremiah 25 and the prophecies there. Um, but most notably, for, as we're moving through the history, uh, is the fact that Moses would marry into the Midianite tribe. His father-in-law would be Jethro, and that's recorded in Acts chapter, or Exodus chapter 2. Now, I don't know if you're like me, uh, gr you know, growing up, you had lots of superstitions, perhaps small ones, you know. If you play baseball, you, you had a lot of them right? There's, you know, the rally cap. You had all kinds of stuff that you did or didn't do. Um, but as a believer, I, I really discovered this whole idea. There's no such thing as a coincidence with God. And, and this is really what we're seeing here. As, as these people are being born, as they're being brought into the world, God is preparing them to be used for his purpose and plan. Midian is going to be used by God to bring forth a people of, of his own choosing. So there's no coincidences with God. Uh, as someone once said, there's only god Verse 5, uh, Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. Again, we see this desire in Abraham's heart for Isaac to be set apart, to be sacred, a holy unto the Lord. Um, after all, Isaac is the promised child, the one who would inherit the promises of God that were given to Abraham and Sarah. 
Now, Abraham was gracious to his offspring, his other offspring, but as the only heir to the promise, through the, as the scripture said, the issue from uh, Abraham and Sarah, and as his firstborn, Isaac received the greatest blessing and inheritance, that that was going to be passed down. It was through Isaac that the blessing to you and I comes. And so Abraham's like, I got to protect this. I got to guard and watch over this. This is our role, to guard and watch over what God has set before you and I. It, it's, we see this continually throughout this book, this idea of, God, of God's godly people guarding and watching over their children. Verse 7, these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron and the son of Zohar the Hittite facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahai Roy. Now, Abraham was roughly 140 years when he married Keturah, yet he, and this is mind-boggling for you and I, yet he still managed to father six more children, right? Um, but I find it interesting, it says, in, in verse 8, it says, his final years were characterized by this, Ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life. Why? And I think we see that stronger as, as someone once said, it's not how we start, but how we finish. And Abraham is finishing well. He's finishing strong as a man of faith, guarding and protecting a heritage of faith. Um, and he's, he really is characterizing now what the Lord produced in him which was contentment. Hebrews 13, 5, make sure that your heart, that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Because that last part, Abraham didn't do so well with. He was afraid of men. You know, as we mentioned before, previously in previous chapters, that he passed his wife off twice as, with a lie as his sister. But now he is finishing strong, that he was satisfied with life. I mean, through trials, through temptations, God molded and transformed Abraham's character and produced in him a contentment with all that God had given him. Most importantly, the promise and the promised child. He was thoroughly satisfied with his role and his purposes in this life. And wouldn't that be great if at the end of our lives, that could be said of you and I? That, that as followers of Jesus, we are fully satisfied in the Lord. Not dwelling on our past failures, because that is so easy to do. Or... or or playing the what-if game. What if I had only? But understanding both the grace and the forgiveness and kindness and mercy of God, as well as his sovereignty and saying, Lord, I know I made a mess, but your grace was sufficient to set me on a course to, and to give me a place of contentment and say, Lord, I'll, it's, not, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm missing the best part. As we roll into the end of our life, we could say, oh Lord, I'm discovering the best part. I'm discovering the best part of a heart submitted to you. I may have wandered, but I'm discovering the best part and that's submitting to you. Verse 12 now, it says, now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names in the order of their birth. Nebioth, the first of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Abdiel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, Hadad, and Tema, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedemah. 
These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes towards Assyria. He settled in defiance of all his relatives. Now, I think it's really important to note that the life of Ishmael is also, there's two testimonies going on simultaneously. There's the one of God's faithfulness, his grace and mercy, right? That he fulfills the promise that was given to Hagar, the angel of the Lord in chapter 16 of Genesis, when she flees from the harsh treatment of, of Sarah and the angel of the Lord, which is really the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ visits them and, and says to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that you will be too many to count. He's made this promise to her, this comforting words. And then he reaffirms this to Abraham and Hagar in chapter 21. But it is a picture of God's faithfulness even to the unbeliever. That God will carry out what he's going to do. He is going to do what he's going to do. And we can't thwart that. Here in chapter 25, God is keeping his promise. But also, furthermore, as the Lord said to Hagar in chapter 16, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. This is the other side of the coin. Is that sadly, his life was also one of opposition. Opposition to God and therefore how he led his people. The prophecy is true today. I, I, I find it interesting. I read a little article in 2017, the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Response to Terrorism, we are going to abbreviate START. Uh, they did a, an interview with ABC News, and in it they said the vast majority of victims of terrorism are Muslims. One of the START analysts actually wrote, almost all of the human impact of extremist attacks is Muslims killing or injuring fellow Muslims. In fact, their database is perhaps the most respected data on the matter. But to this day, the, in, the, the descendants of Ishmael continue to fulfill the word of the Lord given to Hagar. Their hand is against everyone. We see this, sadly, in our own, in our own day. But God's grace is still being extended, isn't it? Just as it's being extended to you and I. We are blessed to hear reports in various places around the world from different conferences of Muslims, people in these very, various countries where, where Ish, Ishmael's descendants settled, coming to faith, having encounters with Christ and coming to faith. God is still in the business of being gracious. There's not one of us that could say, well, I had a really bad start. <laughs> and therefore, you know, God has no, no need for me. God can't redeem me. That's just not true. God is still in the business of pouring out grace and mercy. Verse 19. Now, these are the records of the generation of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, but the children struggled within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. I think we can read over this and miss an important piece that Isaac is, is got a pretty good start here. He is living his faith. He's living what he believes. He's, he understands the absolute power and authority and the sovereignty of God. And so in his distress, because he desires to have children, he cries out to the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 66, 9, we understand it says, it's God who opens and closes the womb. And so he goes to the God who has control over all things. 
It's God's design. And sometimes that's hard for us. I know early on that was really difficult for Sam. Uh, Doug and Janet knew us when we, when we wanted to have kids and it was struggling, you know. Here we are and have three now. That was God's grace. But that's not always the case. God opens and closes the womb according to his purposes. But nonetheless, Isaac, he goes, he demonstrates this faith in God, and so does his wife, Rebecca. So they've got a great start here. Now, it's not going to always be that way. And isn't this like marriage? Isn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're married here tonight, how many of you can say that you have had marriage growth moments? You should raise your hand because I know you're just like me, right? Not one of you. If you're not raising your hand, something, right? We have all had marriage growth moments, opportunities to be humble or to be humbled. But they have a great start. Also, the prophecy of the older serving the younger, we see that now fulfilled when, you, when we get to chapter 27, uh, when Isaac blesses and imparts the greater inheritance to Jacob. Um, it's also mentioned in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Um, but before we are born, the Lord knows the number of our days. His word says he knows the hairs on our head, and he has, a, he has purposed what he will do with us. Now, the best we might hope to understand, right? I'm, I'm not saying this is exactly how it is. The best that we can hope to understand is that God, because he is sovereign, he is all-knowing, he is past, present, and the future in the same moment, that he can see and understand every choice that we will ever make. He will know every decision, every weakness, every failure, and he chooses us accordingly. Now, that amazes me because he knows what messes I would make. He knows what messes Jacob and Esau are going to make. It's not like um, Jacob was this shining example of perfection. He's going to mess this up. But nonetheless, God chooses, and I, and I think we'll get a little farther into this, he chooses because it's an attitude of the heart. Verse 24, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Now, again, this is a, this is a tough one because his name tells it all. I mean, he's red and hairy. That's what a horrible way to get tagged from, from birth. The red hairy one, <laughs> right? It makes you wonder why maybe he, you know, developed some of the character traits that he did. But, um, but then we think, oh, Jacob, you know, he's got this, this cool, you know, nickname, the heel catcher. But that was no picnic either because that was not complimentary, Right? It carried some negative connotations. Heel catcher was understood to mean a trickster, a con man, or a deceiver. Now, again, we're going to see this played out. This is true. His name means something. We've talked a bit about this before in, in previous studies in Genesis, but I think that's why it's so important as we think about the names for our children. Perhaps they ought to mean something. Maybe we ought to impart to them a start in life. Now, I worked in the hospital, and I, I, I was for, for about 15 years, and I was always amazed sometimes by the names that parents gave their children. And I, I, we, we kept a list. I, I, can't re, I can't share them with you because that would be wrong. <laughs> but some of them were... Okay, I can share one because that one's nationally known. There was a... Catholic cardinal, and his last name was Sin, Cardinal Sin. It was, it's awful. <laughs> and then there was the usuals. There was actually a patient we had. It was Donald Duck. Um, you know, but names mean something, and they do something to our children potentially. So we ought to think about that, even as we think about Jacob and Esau. Now, verse, we'll pick it up at verse 27. 
When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Hold on to that thought as we continue through over the next couple of Wednesdays. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I'm famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Here we are seeing two pictures of two distinctly different men. Two sons from the same parent. And and as parents, for some of us, you can understand you, you have two children, they're raised in the same household, and they have two completely different personalities. You, you find yourselves disciplining them differently because of the way they are bent, made by God. Esau, the outdoorsman, the man's man. Jacob, Jacob, the, the thinker, the kind of work smarter, not harder. Esau, little care for tomorrow. Let's, you know, today what's right in front of, that's what we need to tackle. Jacob, he was also planning and scheming for the future. Two very different men. But it's sad when we read verse 34, it says that he, Esau despised his birthright. But Jacob saw it as something valuable. In contrast, Esau at this point saw very little value in it very little value in inheriting the promises of God and an everlasting relationship with the Father. But we also see that, as I mentioned before, we see this favoritism happening in the family. And this is going to get way uglier in their family history as they move along. But as we look at their lives, as we look at their lives and we understand what Esau and Jacob We're bargaining over a birthright. The benefits and the pleasures, the inheritance of their father. How do we view that? How do we view the inheritance from our father? In our practical daily living, are we kind of like, just give me a bowl of that red stuff you know, I just, just satisfy me for today. Enough, today is enough for me. Forget about tomorrow. Or are we really concerned about those gifts of the Father and how they'll be used in our lives and through our lives? How do I view the birthright I have in Christ? Do I see them as valuable? Something to be held on to guarded, protected, not given away for a bowl of the red stuff, (laughs) right? This brings us now to chapter 26. Now, there was a famine on the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give of all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. It will multiply, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. 
For we've heard the same song, second verse, could get better, but it's going to get worse. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. I mean, this is the same story. And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And then Isaac said to him, Because I said, I might die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, Abimelech, there's, there's a bunch of conversations going around in commentaries about who this guy is. Is it the same one, or is Abimelech a title? I don't know. I think it's possibly a title rather than a, the name of the king. But nonetheless, it's the same one that his dad has dealt with. And the same story. Right Now, granted, it, it, it didn't get quite as bad in that sense. Um, I, I love it. Some people say, you know, when they read this, they say, oh, behold, Isaac was caressing his wife. You know, he was holding her hand or something. No, uh, because he says, no, surely she must be your wife. There was something going on there that was husbandly and wifely. But he says, man, that could have cost us. You mean, see, in the midst of this, they knew who Isaac was was they knew his character and they knew who his god was and he is doing what his father has done he's in essence doing a great damage potentially to the name of the god he serves he's repeating the same sin now he didn't go to egypt that's the good news but it was like half obedience. He went like, well, halfway. I didn't stay in Canaan, but I'll go here, right? And, and it's, again, it's, it's that lack of trust, staying and believing that God will provide for him even though there was great hardship. What patterns do we see in our lives? Because he's developing a pattern He's developing a pattern in his life that is similar to his father. And what patterns do we see in our life that we should stop? Think for a moment. Talk, about our child, talk to our children about them. And warn them, like, this isn't a good thing. I know you've seen this in me. It's good for us to be humble with our children. It's not a bad thing to admit our mistakes. In fact, it's very good. It's very sound and biblical. So much easier for us to teach our children that we are human than to deceive them and make them think that somehow we never make mistakes, that they'll never live up to the example that we set. So then we should guard our hearts, but we should also warn our children. Because this is, he's about, he's setting this example for his own kids. What patterns do we see? Because the reality is we could save ourselves a lot of heartache if we learn from someone else's mistake. That's the better way to learn. Verse 12, now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Now, it's, it's interesting. Again, you see this pattern. Man's unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. We're, 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 we're seeing it repeated again here. He, he commits this sin. He doesn't trust God. It, it has potential disastrous consequences, but it appears that he continues to obey God. And God in his grace and mercy blesses him. Now, we need to be really careful. As Paul said, should we sin all the more 
so that grace should abound all the more. And his words are, may it never be. Heck no, are you stupid? Let's not play that game, right? We shouldn't presume upon the grace of God. But aren't we glad that when we mess up, God says, well, that's one. You got two more. And then I'm cutting you off. And so it is an encouragement for us though we have at times mucked up our lives. God is faithful if we are humble to come to him and say, oh man, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me for the mess that I've made. And he is faithful to bless his people. He pours out ridiculous blessing on his servant. Psalm 103, 14, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knew the weaknesses of Isaac, and he spares his life. However, the consequences are still coming. The consequences are still coming. Verse 18, then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names which his father had given him. So Isaac, Isaac remembers these things. He, re, he remembers these spiritual, spiritually significant moments um, growing up and watching these things and learning these things from his father. He remembers the grace and the kindness, the provision of the Lord, um, and he seeks those same things out. And, and it seems that he does this with diligence. I, I spoke on diligence uh, as, as part of a piece of the sermon a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning when we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And remembering that diligence is not perfection. Rather, it's that, that consistent and conscious decision to daily walk with God. So it seems that, it, that Isaac is now embracing this. He's, he's redigging this well. He's remembering these things. Um, he's waking up and pursuing the Lord. Isaac returns to the faith and the diligence that he'd known before, the doubt and the failure. Um, and, and that really asked, causes, should cause us to ask the question, what areas of our lives need to be reexamined? for us to say what areas do we need to be diligent in? What things do we need to return to and remember? We're, we're gonna do that tonight as we celebrate communion together with the Lord. The remembrance of what God has done for us. Verse 19, but when Isaac's servants dug the well in the valley and found there a flowing a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants <coughs> for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and he called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. <coughs> It is now that that previous sin begins to bear some fruit. Just because we are forgiven doesn't mean removal of consequences. There is a price to be paid. And this price uh, takes shape in, in, in really these wells that they dig. And he names them according to the circumstances. Essek, which means contention. Sitna, which means opposition. <coughs> Really, those two, contention and opposition, are the companions he invited into his life when he sinned in, there in Gerar. This is, this is the companions that we invite into our lives when we sin. 
contention and opposition. Uh, we've, we've heard it, uh, you know, on Sunday morning that we, we, if we're living that carnal life, not living the spiritual life, that there's too much of, of God within us to be content with this world, but too much of the world to be content with God, we are inviting contention and opposition into our lives. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Can you say with me that you've experienced that, reaping what you've sown? Isaac is experiencing the results of exercising carnal wisdom, worldly wisdom. However, just like you and I, because of his love and grace towards, towards us, God rescues and blesses Isaac. It's who he digs another well, farther away from the enemy and finds water and he finds a place of relief and rest, Rehoboth, enlargement. As he says there, at last the Lord has made room for us. Rehoboth, roominess, a place for us. Makes me think of John 15, 33. In this life you will have trouble, but fear not for I have overcome the world. In this life, some of those things that we experience are of our own making. Others, perhaps, the result of living in a fallen world, the natural state of things. But God is faithful to guard and protect it. Isaac's failure to trust God while living in Gerar results in this ongoing conflict with the people of the land. And, and perhaps might might even be seen as the discipline of the Lord. But God didn't forget the promise to Isaac. He blessed Isaac during all those years of conflict, increasing his wealth and his status as Isaac faithfully endured. Having acknowledged the Lord's protection and provision, the Lord now visits Isaac to reaffirm the covenant he made. And this is what God does with us when we come to him in in brokenness and humility, when we say, God, all I ever had was you. He reaffirms, I love you. You are a cherished child of mine. And that's reassuring, especially when we go through difficulties of life, even outside of our own making, but that God is watching over his children. He hasn't forgot them. He has made a place for us, a better place. There is plenty of room waiting for us. Verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Ahuzath, and Fickle, the, the commander of his army. And then Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and not have, done, have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Now, I'm not sure that's all true, but <laughs> you are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and he said to them, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Besmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. As we read this, as we read this exchange, think about Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. He brings this 
ruler, this king now, to Isaac because they've recognized, as he said, you are now blessed, the blessed of the Lord. This foreign king, this ungodly leader is saying, you clearly have the blessing of God. And there's a little fear. You've become strong. And they want to make this covenant, this oath. When the agreement between Abimelech and Isaac concluded, then Isaac learns of the new well. And it names, the name of the well, Sheba, is the well of oath, the place where he finds satisfaction and peace. Because in that, he sees the full circle from trusting in God as he thinks, as he looks out over and he sees his wife, Rebecca, approaching on the camel as he's meditating before the Lord to marrying her, praying to the Lord and her praying to the Lord and receiving these children and then falling into gross sin, right? Lying about this and coming out of that. And now he's back at this place of, I'm trusting you. I'm seeing your hand. I'm seeing your hand even move to bring peace with my enemies. They're a gift from God, grace from God through faith. Now, as this chapter closes, it sets the stage really for chapter 27. Esau continues to now be and reveal the character of his heart to be a self-centered and rebellious man. And he marries two women from among the ungodly Canaanite people. It says that it brings grief to Isaac and Rebekah. It just reveals what God, why God chose Jacob. Because God has always been about the heart. It's always been about the heart. Oh, we can look good on the outside. We might be well-loved by people. We might even be our parents' favorite child. <laughs> but what, what God sees is the content of our heart. We're going to see these continual reminders here in chapter 25, a life lived for God is one of contentment. That even for the ungodly, God is faithful to his promises and he is gracious. Is our life in Christ the most important thing to us? Is the inheritance that we will receive to be guarded, protected, and yes, shared? Forgiveness doesn't mean removal of consequences because we will reap what we sow. But seeking the Lord with that diligent, that humble heart is, brings that restoration, that restoration through forgiveness and hope. And when we have peace, we get to remember the promises of God. And again, that's what we're gonna do tonight. As we... As we close tonight, Janet, if you want to come on up, put yourself in this story, perhaps. How, how am I doing? What does my life look like when it comes to the attitudes and the actions? my thoughts and my concerns regarding God's purposes and promises. And, and as we do that, I pray that it would do the work that God would desire to do and he, that he did in Isaac's life. That it would bring us to a place of just humble repentance, but also a joyous celebration knowing that God's grace and mercy is ever-present for those who humbly approach him. And that's what we should do tonight, humbly approach him. Thinking of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, that we ought to examine ourselves so lest we eat and drink judgment when we remember the Lord's table. That we'd say, oh Lord, you're so good to me. Help me to grow and learn and trust 
pray that God would enrich our lives as we remember his sacrifice. God, we thank you that you are infinitely patient. That your grace is far more than I can comprehend. And your love, Lord, you keep pouring it out over and over. And, and we, we, we remember this tonight as we remember that because of your love, you came down from heaven and allowed my sin, our sin, to be placed upon you for you to suffer and pour out your blood to, to purchase me, to redeem me, to, to pay for my sin, our sin. And as much as that might at times cause us great sorrow and grief as we remember our sin, Lord, I pray it also would revive in us a great joy of celebration. Because your grace and your love covers a multitude of sins. Help us to lay hold of that. Perhaps in a fresh way tonight, that it wouldn't just be another communion, but a remembrance of you and your faithfulness. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.